Well, I'm really excited today, and part of the reason that I'm excited is that we're going to dive into a new sermon series. Uh, we're actually going to dive into a series of four weeks uh, where we focus on the book of Ruth, this rich text in the Old Testament. It's sandwiched between Judges uh, and First uh, Samuel, uh, right in there, in, in my Bible. Uh, anyway, it's only eight pages long. Uh, and it takes maybe 15 to 20 minutes to read the entire book. Uh, but Ruth, like like so much of Scripture, it's there's so many layers to it. As people say, it's like, it's like an onion. Uh, as you peel back layers, uh, you just get more and more richness, more depth uh, to what's going on in the book. So while you could sit at home, and, and maybe you should, uh, and just read it in 15 to 20 minutes all the way through, um, we're going to spend four weeks, a week on each chapter uh, in Ruth, and, and I'm excited to see what God has uh, to teach us, not just about a book in the Old Testament, but about ourselves and our own journeys uh, through life. So let's dive right in. Uh, a little bit of history on the book of Ruth, I think, is always helpful. So it starts off with saying, in the time of the judges... So the Judges, there's an entire book in the Old Testament, the book of Judges, and they're these leaders of God's people uh, after slavery in in Egypt. Moses has already happened, they've already come out, uh, and before uh, they have kings yet. So this is a time period where where they have these leaders and they're called judges. And they don't work like judges in our own society. Uh, they're kind of these tribal leaders. They're, they're often military leaders, uh, and, and they are helping rule, but there's no like unified uh, sense going on. And, and what often happens in the book of Judges is this cycle of behavior, uh, and I think it's helpful to know as we enter into Ruth, is that the people of God, they turn away from God. Sometimes it's quick, sometimes it's, it's after a few generations, and and when they do, God sends a neighboring army to come in and, and conquer them. And when the neighboring army comes and they get desperate enough, God's people cry out to him. And, and when they cry out to him, he responds and he sends a leader called a judge. And, and they rally the people and they throw off uh, these impressive armies and, and they kind of retake the land. And the people rejoice and they celebrate with God. And then slowly, after time, again, sometimes more quickly, sometimes after, after a few generations, they turn their back on God again. And then the cycle starts over, and, and a new army comes, and they cry out again. It just continues and continues and continues. So it's in this time period that the book of Ruth is taking place. Now, one other very important piece of history to know with the book of Ruth is that we are talking about uh, essentially two people groups. We are talking about the Israelites, the people of God, and and they live in Israel and in Judah. Uh, In particular, in this story, they're coming from Bethlehem uh, in Judah. And uh, they they are God's chosen people. They live on the west side of the Dead Sea, is where Bethlehem is. Well, on the east side of the Dead Sea is this nation called Moab. And Moab, or or the people that are from there, are called Moabites. Um, It's this nation that actually is somewhat related 
to the Israelites, if they trace themselves back, they have common ancestry. So the Israelites, uh, as, as many of you know from, from the book of Genesis, trace themselves back to Abraham and Sarah. Well, Abraham and Sarah had a nephew named Lot, who also uh, is mentioned a lot in the book of Genesis. And Lot's descendants, some of them, uh, are these people who are the Moabites. So uh, they're the separate country. They, they don't worship uh, God. They have kind of their own gods. Um, but they are related ancestrally uh, far enough back. And as many of us know, when, when people offend us and when people uh, hurt us, uh, it can matter a lot, but it matters so much more and it can hurt so much more uh, if it's someone we're close to, uh, if it's a relative or, or something like that. And that's what happened to these people groups. So Abraham and Sarah, there's one story where they rescue Lot and they rescue Lot's family. Um, and then much later, the people are freed from slavery in Egypt and, and they're traveling. And, and as the Israelites go, uh, they get really desperate. And there's a point where the Moabites have the opportunity to help them. And, and to rescue them, in a way. And the Moabites, they turn their back on the Israelites. And they just say, they can just fend for themselves. And why this is important in the book of Ruth is that actually in, in the Old Testament law, in the book of Deuteronomy, this, this story, this family history factors in. And you can read it yourself. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 3 through 6. No Moabite, no, no person who's, who's from that area, who's ancestrally from those people, uh, even if they move into Israel and they set up their entire lives and they shop at the same markets and they, they do everything, no Moabite can fully enter into Israelite community, get this, for 10 generations. So if you look back in your own family's history and you say nine generations ago, I had an ancestor who was a Moabite. Uh, you still can't fully enter into Israelite society and community. Uh, that just shows the hurt between these two people. So as we enter into the book of Ruth, this becomes extremely important. So let's, let's just dive right in. Uh, we're going to do Ruth chapter 1 this week. Next week's going to be chapter 2 and so on. Uh, four weeks of the book of Ruth. Verse 1, uh, as read for you earlier, there's this famine in Judah, and uh, a man who will later uh, learn his name Elimelech and his wife Naomi are forced to move. Uh, because of the famine, they have to, to relocate uh, to Moab. So they moved across the Dead Sea into this other region. You can imagine how hard this would have been for them with, with the tension between these societies, but they have to. Uh, there's no... Uh, rain, so there's no harvest, and, and they need to move to, to eat. Chapter 2 goes on, we learn that the name man's name is Elimelech. In the Bible, names, um, they tend to mean a lot. So Elimelech, uh, it's kind of this name that almost foreshadows what's going to happen in the story here. Uh, and that often happens in, in people's names in the Old Testament. They, there's a lot of meaning there. And the name Elimelech translates to my God is king. Remember, there isn't kings uh, of God's people yet. We're in the time of the judges. 
Um, so my God is king. My God is in control. My God is Lord of all. My God is almighty and all-powerful is what this means. My God is king. So Elimelech and Naomi and their two sons, they move to Moab. Uh, but then we read in verse 3 that something tragic happens. Elimelech, the father of the household, he dies. We're not told how, uh, but what we do know is this leaves Naomi in such a vulnerable place. Um, to be a widow in ancient Near Eastern society uh, was, was such a vulnerable place. She couldn't uh, even really provide for her own self. Uh, she would have had to rely on others uh, for everything, for food, for shelter, for security. And, and we read earlier or that she left Bethlehem in a famine, uh, which is important, but she left with a lot of security uh, in their society. She left having a husband. This was huge. She left having two sons, meaning that that even if a husband had passed away, which, which has happened here, she still has these sons that can take care of her, can help her. Uh, and in their eyes, how they viewed the world, she was uh, described as a woman who was in a hard place because of the famine, uh, certainly was, but was blessed in many, many ways to have this level of uh, what I guess you could call security uh, in her own life. So Elimelech, the father of the household dies, uh, but at least she's left with her two sons. Then in verses 4 and 5, uh, it goes on and it says that her sons married two Moabite women. Now, they've lived there for a long time, uh, so that makes sense. Orpha and Ruth are their names. So we're introduced to Ruth um, of the book of Ruth, uh, so we know this is going to be important. And then we're told that tragically, after 10 years, both sons now have passed away. Leaving all three of these women as widows. Naomi in a foreign land. Uh, Ruth and Orpha, uh, widows, but, but at least they're Moabites. Truly, truly tragic in their time. And, and just truly... Uh, a difficult place uh, for Naomi. And it really sets the scene for uh, the entire book of Ruth and where this is going. Verse 6, Naomi decides she has no reason to stay in Moab. And she gets news that in, in Bethlehem that the famine has stopped. Remember, it's been over 10 years. But the famine has stopped, so she says, you know, why don't I just travel back to be with my own people? At least I won't be a foreigner, uh, which made you vulnerable again, uh, plus uh, a widow, plus she doesn't have any sons. So, so I'm going to at least travel back to Bethlehem, uh, be kind of with my people. And she starts traveling, and as she's on her way, she starts thinking about her daughter-in-laws, who she loves dearly. And she's thinking about the hard lives that they have in front of them, as, as it's this group of three uh, these three widows just trying to survive. And and uh, thought comes to her mind, and she comes to her daughter-in-laws, daughter and she begs them. She says, just, why don't you just leave me? Uh, my life's already hard. 
my life is going to be very, uh, she uses the word bitter a lot uh, in the story. Her life is, is bitter. But yours can be a little better. So why don't you go back to your, your family of origin, uh, to your parents' house. Um, maybe uh, in time, maybe you'll remarry. Maybe you'll have uh, a life that isn't as hard. Uh, why don't you just leave me and go back? And they both say, no, we don't want to do that. Uh, we want we want to stick with you. And uh, Naomi then then just really begs them. She says, "Please just go, just just go and leave me, and and at least have a good life. That would make me happier uh, than to than to have this hardship uh, upon you too." And Orpha, uh, she kisses her goodbye, and and in tears she leaves and she goes home. Uh, but we read that Ruth does something different. Ruth, uh, it says, Ruth clung to her, hung on to her, and we are given uh, this speech that Ruth says that, uh, it's, it's probably the most famous text from this book. She says, Do not urge me to leave you or turn my back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. So with this, we get this, this glimmer of hope in Naomi's life. Uh, it's been really hard. She has been dealt a really uh, tragic and difficult hand, and, uh, and there's a lot of hardship ahead. But... Because of the loyalty of Ruth, and because of the willingness of Ruth to, to cling to her and to stay with her, at least Naomi is not alone. At least uh, she can bear this with someone else. So we read that Naomi and Ruth, they travel back to Judah, to the town of Bethlehem, and as they're far off, the people of Bethlehem see Naomi coming. Remember, it's been uh, well over 10 years at this point, and they see her coming and they say, could this be Naomi? Uh, has returned home. And they rush up to her and they say, Naomi. And, and she replies in this way. She says, don't call me Naomi. Remember, names mean a lot. Uh, and Naomi means pleasant. So she says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. And Mara means bitter. It's, it's where we get the, the name in the New Testament of Mary. Uh, it means bitter. So she says, don't call me pleasant. Uh, I left this place with a husband and with two sons, with a lot of security, with a lot of ability. And I left in a time of famine, and I went to Moab, and now I return, and it's just me uh, and my and my daughter-in-law who has clung to me. So don't call me Naomi any longer. Call me Mara. It's, it's truly this heart-wrenching uh, statement here. Naomi says... I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. And then at the very end of chapter 1, we see just one more small glimmer of hope in the book. It says this, it says, So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. 
So again, peeling back those layers, digging in, seeing what this means. The barley harvest um, was beginning in an agricultural society. This is a, a time of hope. This at least says that as, as Naomi and Ruth arrive, maybe there's a hope that they can at least be fed. If somebody looks upon them favorably, at least they can eat. Uh, and she left, Naomi left, uh, what she says is full, uh, with a husband and two sons, returns empty, but she left also in a famine and returns to a barley harvest. Uh, and then it's this interesting um, uh, position uh, that the text leaves us in. Uh, it's clear that God is up to something here. God is doing something, um, but we don't quite see it yet. And that's where we end uh, for chapter 1. So uh, I was reflecting on this chapter so much this week, and I read through it many, many times. And, and one thing that I kept reflecting on was the painfulness of Naomi's circumstances. And I know we've all been through painful things. It's just part of being human, right? We go through things, some far worse than others. Um, and the reality is we don't get very far in life without experiencing pain. And as Naomi says, experiencing bitterness, uh, this, this sadness, this, this deep stage of suffering and disappointment. Henry Nouwen, uh, one of the great spiritual uh, teachers of our time, he has this quote. Uh, he says that when we look at the uniqueness of our pain, in which those circumstances had been different, we miss the opportunity to realize that our pain is part of a universal experience of pain in the world. Notice that second line. We miss the opportunity to realize that our pain is part of a universal experience of pain. So certainly our pain is unique, and Naomi's pain is unique to her, but it also is just part of kind of what it has meant to be a human, what it has meant to walk in this world. And, and this brought me uh, to Matthew chapter 11, 29 through 30, when Jesus says, he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The key word here is yoke. So a yoke uh, was this device that was put across the shoulders of two uh, beasts of burden, two, two ox, and, and they would pull on the yoke and it would pull a plow through the field. And if the soil was hard and rocky and tough, uh, they could use their strength to, to pull through. Uh, so Jesus says, here, take my yoke upon you. Give, give your burdens to me. Let's carry them together. Let's pull this together. For I am gentle, gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And an image that it brings to mind for me uh, is this image of how back then and, and even later, how they trained young or, or new ox how to pull it was that you would you would yoke them unevenly to uh, an experienced ox. So you would take one that is strong, that uh, that is mighty, uh, and knows what to do, knows how to pull, 
and you would you would yoke it together, and just by doing it alongside of each other, even though the young one probably wasn't doing much of the work, may even made it harder. Um, it was learning how. Now, if you want to if you want to do the field as quickly as possible, you could probably just use that that experienced ox uh, and have a different style, and that he could probably pull a plow by himself, and it might even be easier. But that's not the point. The point is that at the end, you're training the younger one how to do it. And it just reminds me of my own house. Uh, I, have, I have little kids, and, and we were actually out on our deck the other day, and we set up a tent. And we were going to sleep outside, uh, but right on the deck. And uh, I'm out there with three little boys, and we're setting up this tent. And I, I got to tell you, I could set up this tent probably ten times quicker without these kids there, right? I mean, you all can imagine. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of training them. You know, I'm teaching them how to do the tent, and it's fun. And the point of it wasn't to do the tent as quick as possible. If that was the point, I would have just done it, and they could have stayed inside, and they could have come outside and do a full tent. The point was to do it together. So by the time we were done, we had this, this tent assembled, and they had a sense of accomplishment, and maybe... In years to come, maybe they can set up a tent and I can sit back on a, on a yard chair uh, and watch. Uh, the day is not soon, uh, but maybe it'll happen. Um, and it just reminds me of these ox that are tied together. And the promise we have from Jesus that if we take our burdens and, and we yoke them to him. Um, again, I'll just read this for you. And I just want you to, to think about this. He says, take my yoke upon you, and learn from me. Learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So if you've been pulling, pulling through this despair, through this suffering, through this this bitterness, as Naomi says, and, and maybe your own life, uh, just know that we have a Savior that says, that says let's, let's do this together, tie us together. And what you'll find isn't that you're pulling the majority of the load. Uh, he is far more capable than we are. And, and, and we learn that he is humble uh, and gentle. And you will find rest for his yoke is easy. And his burden is light because he is pulling it. Uh, and you don't have to anymore. And what's beautiful here is that as you do this more, um, you, you get more accustomed to it. And you can come alongside other people. And you can be yoked together and carry burdens together. And it's just so powerful. And it's just so much of, I think, who we're called to be uh, in our world and in our society. Uh, it's what we see in Ruth. You know, Naomi has been through so much, and now she's returned. But she doesn't return alone. She's returned with Ruth, her daughter-in-law, and they are yoked together, and they will travel this time together. And like I said before, next week we'll go into chapter 2, um, and we'll see where the story is going.